Advantage has teamed up with SoCal Youth Rugby to provide athletic trainers at all matches from Orange County to San Luis Obispo. If you are in Orange County, Los Angeles County, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, or San Luis Obispo areas and looking for contract work on the weekends, visit our website, theadvantage.com, for more info and to apply. Hello, and thank you for joining us on The Business Advantage. I am Alicia Pennington, your host and owner of Advantage Athletic Training. Today, we're going to be talking about taxes. What are they? Why do we have to pay them? The differences between a W-2 and a 1099, deductions, and the best way to set yourself up for success come April 15th, or actually April 18th, as we found out. I've brought on an expert in the field who I trust with my own taxes and are a partner of Advantages Services. We refer all of our athletic trainers to Navarro Mellinger because they're so knowledgeable and just all around great women. I felt it was important to discuss taxes, not only from a business perspective, but a personal one as well. If you're anything like me, you didn't learn what taxes were in school and have struggled to digest all the information surrounding the topic. The laws are ever-changing, and as an American citizen, we should attempt to understand what we are paying into with every single one of our paychecks. Though paying taxes is a universal topic, we are going to discuss it in relation to athletic training as well. We will discuss deductions that apply specifically to athletic trainers and how we can write off some of our expenses when doing per diem work or traveling. I am hopeful that this is an episode where I can give back to my colleagues and our hardworking profession. It's no secret that we work a tremendous amount of hours for nominal pay. So hopefully you will hear a few tricks along the way or find a couple loopholes that put an extra couple bucks in your pocket. Lastly, before we get started, I'm going to ask for your forgiveness and understanding once again with this audio. Kim spoke to us in her office between clients, so if you hear distracting noises in the background, we apologize. Without further ado, here is Kim Mellinger of Namaro Mellinger Tax Solutions. Hi, Kim. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So we're going to be talking about taxes today, which for a lot of people is no fun, but still really important to discuss. Let's just start by talking about what are taxes? Taxes is what we pay to to be here in the United States. We pay taxes to the feds and we pay taxes for the state that we live in. So It's based on the money you earn. Okay. So basically just what we have to pay to be American citizens, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay. And so why do we pay them? What do taxes go to? What's what's the point in all of this? Well, taxes go to you having a president of the United States. They go to you having freeways. It goes to all the benefits you have in America to live here. Taxes pay for your senators. Um, they are paying for a portion of your health care now, which is another discussion for us to talk about. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, Yes, taxes also pay for us to have public schooling or public funding. So there's a lot of things that our tax dollars go for. Okay, so as much as we gripe about having to pay taxes, really it allows us a lot of the freedoms and the securities that we enjoy as Americans. Yes, exactly. That makes sense. So then... um, How is it that we pay taxes? And I know that most people are used to just filing at the end of the year. Is 
that the common way of doing it or or how come they take money out of our paychecks and what how did how did how does that work it's like a, a pay as you go system so when you are a w2 employee every paycheck you have has taxes withheld for fed and your state you live in mm -hmm. when you are a contractor and you're working for yourself and you're independent you should really be paying quarterly taxes and that is done four times a year if you don't do quarterly payments and you kind of hold off to the end of the year when you file your taxes, you can be facing interest and penalty for not making those payments. I see. So basically, the government wants us to pay throughout the year to enjoy the luxuries that we do as citizens. They don't want us holding on to all of our money until the end of the year. Yes, exactly. And because if you if they waited till the end of the year for all of us, then they'd be bankrupt, right? They'd have to keep borrowing more money to actually fund the programs for yes, us. Yes, I was just going to say that, that as a business and, you know, for anybody, I think it makes sense that you want to be paid, you know, kind of as you're providing services, not waiting until the end of the year to get all of your money. Exactly. Now, there's also another thing to be said with that is that you don't want to overpay the IRS at the same time. So you really want to make sure that your calculations are correct on quarterly. Because if the IRS does owe you a refund, you don't get interest back on that. That was free money for them to use while you were um, you couldn't have it in a savings account to earn your own savings on it. Oh, I see. So people always look forward to getting a big refund at the end of the year. But really yes. what has happened is the government has borrowed more money from you than what they should have. They were able to spend it and probably make interest on it on their on their end and then you basically catch up with them and say hey you borrowed more money than needed for me and they pay you back but in the meantime they've made money off of your money yes exactly and you don't get anything from that no benefit ah so we don't want to underpay we don't want to overpay we kind of want to break even yes that's my rule of thumb always break even Okay, so you are an enrolled agent, and yes. I know prior to you explaining to me what that was, I had never heard of that. Most people are familiar with CPAs or like a software. So can you explain a little bit about what an enrolled agent is and how it differs from maybe some of the other more popular tax advisors people are used to going to? Yes, I am an EA, so I'm an enrolled agent. I'm licensed by Treasury, so the government licensed me. I get to practice in all of our states and some of our territories. Where compared to me as a CPA, CPAs can only take their exams in the states they practice in, and they're not always allowed to, also, to do tax returns in other states unless they have permission. Where, again, I get to practice everywhere. Um, we have very similar exams. CPAs mostly always focus on accounting, like doing um, small business books and things like that. Okay. Where EAs, all we all focus on is tax. All of our exams are taxed. That's all we focus on. And then sometimes we do help business owners with their accounting books because we know what we're looking for for expenses to help them reduce the tax liability. So we help them set up their accounting books that way. I see. So we look at we look at everything from a tax basis. Um, you'll also run into people that have like the softwares. Like you hear people who use TurboTax. Mm -hmm. And I'm a great fan of TurboTax because when people don't use it correctly, they get to come to me and they pay me representation rate to help them figure out the mess and to contact IRS on their behalf. Oh, and that's geez. another thing, yes. <laughs> so, and also people run into that they will go to like an H&R Block or a Liberty Tax or a Jackson Hewitt 
And a lot of times preparers in those offices are only, um, in California, you have to be CTEC licensed, meaning you took a, an hour class in California and you took a test. But if you need help with the IRS or with FTB, which is our franchise tax board here, mm -hmm. they can't call and represent for you. Only a CPA or an EA can. And then if you get into more trouble with the IRS, only an EA can go in and help you. Interesting. So, so there's definitely a benefit to having someone like yourself in EA looking over your books on a regular basis and going to you with the taxes because should the IRS ever come, we can basically just say, hey, Kim, the IRS is banging down my door. You go deal with it. Yes, exactly. And actually, I tell you, don't talk to them. That's Wait for me smart. to get there. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, having a lawyer there. Yes. Except, though, if you go criminal, if you're doing criminal acts and the IRS comes in and that division shows up during our meeting, I actually have to recuse myself and you will have to get an attorney. But that's only for people that are crooked, you know, like sure. Al Capone or something like that. <laughs> so are there are there any other liabilities that someone would run into if they're doing their own taxes versus having a professional do them? Yes, we find a lot of times um, that people come into us after they've been owing a lot of money to the IRS or to the state, mm -hmm. and they don't know why. And then they come to us, and we look at the previous year's tax returns prepared, and we find out they've been missing expenses that could reduce the taxable liability for them. So they've actually been overpaying on their taxes. And oh. we can only amend taxes for th uh, back to three years to get you back a refund. So a lot of times people you know, who go back five years, if they were really owed money, they don't get it back. Mm. So and they won't apply it to anything either. What do you, what does that mean? So like if you, if I went back and I amended a return from four years ago for you and you did it wrong on TurboTax mm -hmm. and it turns out you were really, you shouldn't have paid them that extra thousand dollars. You should have got it back. Mm -hmm. I can't get it for you. IRS says, well, thanks for making the payment to us and thanks for amending your tax return, but there's nothing we can do for you. You missed oh, the statue. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you're going through those softwares, they ask a lot of questions, but I think yes. what you're saying is that someone like yourself and, and probably just a human being in general can ask a broader scope of questions or maybe looking at someone's numbers, they can ask more specific questions to say, um, you know, did you buy a car and you have sales tax on it or did you give a charitable contribution or things like that? Yes. And there's also business expenses that people really forget about or they don't think count as an expense to, you know, for an independent contractor, uh -huh. um, even for an employee who has a W-2. Sometimes work requires you to do things and you have to pay for it, like licensing, traveling, mm -hmm. you know, conferences. And people really forget about those expenses. And sometimes they do add up and they are worthwhile to take the deduction. Okay. So... Is there an opportunity or is there a time when it makes more sense for someone to use one of those softwares versus going to an enrolled agent? Sure. Somebody probably in college who's working that part-time job at Starbucks and going to school and their parents are still supporting them. Yeah. Then I can see them doing that. But also at the same time with that example is that you have to be careful if your parents are supporting you and they are claiming you as a dependent. Oh. You do not want to file as yourself as a, your own dependent and then your parents, you know, get screwed out of your deduction. That makes sense. And, yeah. and so what if there's somebody who just works one job, doesn't pick up any contract work on the side, maybe is a single person, no children, doesn't own a home. Is something like that worth going to a software for or are there still 
deductions in there like rent expense or something that should be considered and worth going to a professional for? We see a lot of people with that example do go to the software, but what happens is, is later on down the road when they do buy a house or they look you know, for their property taxes or they're looking to get married, they don't know anyone to call and get the answers. Mm. Um, we've seen it happen where they've come in here before and they didn't understand what it meant to actually purchase a house or how do they qualify for a house. Um, right now, the mortgage companies, you know, they're being very strict when they're looking at tax returns. Yes. And we actually had somebody come in here a month ago saying that they were being looked at, but they're all self-prepared returns. So oh. they wanted somebody else to look at them and verify it. So even if in your current state of life, you may not require a professional to file your taxes it's probably a good idea to start to look for a professional or at least have a professional look over them every couple years because at a future point in life, you will need someone. Yes, exactly. That makes sense. So um, let's talk a little bit about the difference between a W-2 and a 1099 or an employee versus an independent contractor. Can you kind of loosely define what those mean in terms of taxes? Sure. A W-2, an employee of a business, they are their taxes are being paid kind of split way. The person themselves is putting money into their Social Security and their Medicare and paying you know, their federal tax. And also their employer is putting in a portion for them for their Medicare and their Social Security and is paying a tax on them as well. Somebody who's an independent, who's their own person, their own sole proprietor, they're actually paying all their own Social Security and their own Medicare and they're still, again, like a W-2, still responsible for their federal and state income tax. Okay. And so those are the people that would need to do estimated payments, correct? Yes, correct. Those are your quarterly payment people. And is there ever an instance where a W-2 employee also needs to do quarterly estimated? Yes, there is. Usually your professionals who are making um, high five figures or six figures of income, they may need to do quarterlies. A lot of my clients that are doctors and dentists, that's what they have to do because there's not enough federal and state taxes being withheld and they end up owing taxes at the end of the year. So we put them on a quarterly payment system as well. Okay. So even if in that scenario we said before where you're, you know, on a single job and you don't really have, you know, major things going on in your life that you think would require a professional, if you're, if you're in a higher income bracket, maybe you do need a professional yes. to look over that because there are additional expenses you may owe. Yes, exactly. Okay. So in, in terms of taxes, um, is there anything additional from a W-2 to a 1099? Like in terms of deductions, um, you know, what, what are deductions and how do they work? Sure. Well, deductions for a W-9 person... You're a sole proprietor, so you're doing a Schedule C on your tax return, which you're going to take deductions for running this business that you are performing in. You're your own boss. So that's where you're going to take expenses like your cell phone, your mileage, your meals for eating out with people, office supplies. Um, that's where I go into further detail with you about, too, about your car. Like mm -hmm. There's certain things with additional deductions for cars we can take. So that's where you get to really claim all these expenses it takes for you to create and to do this um, sole proprietor business you're doing. I see. And that helps reduce your tax liability. Now, for a W-2 person, you don't really get these um, deductions unless your work requires you to do something and they won't pay you for it. But there's also a caveat to that, that you have to get onto a Schedule A to use unreimbursed work expenses 
and it has to be more than a standardized deduction. Okay, can you explain really quick the difference between a Schedule A versus a standardized deduction? Yes, so a Schedule A is when it's larger than the standardized deduction, and usually people who have a Schedule A are people that are claiming their mortgage interest, property taxes, unreimbursed work expenses, medical expenses, and you get more of a deduction that way versus the standardized deduction, um, you get this a flat amount from it, and which currently this year it's $6,300. So you would have to have over $6,300 of expenses to even get on a Schedule A if you were a W-2 employee. So somebody who is a single person who works um, with a, a single employer and doesn't own a home or anything like that, most likely they would just take the standard deduction of 6300 right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Versus someone who's married, maybe has a child, owns a home, bought a new car, very likely that their standard deduction, that, that the deductions that they would have are over that standard deduction amount, so then they would go to a Schedule A, in which case they can write off numerous expenses, correct? Yes, correct. And let me clarify that deductions aren't actually money that you get back. You're, no, they're not. Explain a little bit about what tax liability is and how deductions reduce your tax liability. So if, for example, let's say you're a sole proprietor and you make $100,000 doing this, Okay. So right off the bat, the IRS would look at that and say, you know what, you owe us tax liability on $100,000, and let's say you're in the 25% tax bracket. Okay. So you take the 25% against your $100,000, that's what you owe them. But you're saying, whoa, wait a minute, I have expenses that it took me to do this business, so I'm going to reduce my tax liability. And let's say you come up with like $30,000 of expenses, so now your tax liability to IRS is only 70000 so then you only have to pay taxes on $70,000 instead of $100,000. Yes, correct. And would that also lower maybe the percentage of tax that you have to pay? Does that bring you down a bracket potentially? It could. It okay. could. So in your experience, does someone who is a W-2 versus a 1099 have any more or less tax liability solely based on how they're classified? Uh, for the 1099s, the, the only difference would be is you're paying 100% of your Medicare and your Social Security. Oh, okay. Versus the employers paying the other portion for you. So in a sense, that's more that you can write off? Yes, it is a deduction. So if there is a 1099 and a W-2 who both have a $100,000 salary, in your estimation, who is likely to pay more in taxes? The W-2 person. Interesting. And that's because the 1099 is able to write off more of their expenses. Exactly. That's really cool. So let me ask you about some athletic training specific types of things that I think most people would be interested in writing off. And you can okay. let me know if it's possible for a W-2 or a 1099. Okay. One of the things that we often either have to purchase or come across needing in our kit are different medical supplies, be it tape or gauze or band-aids. If that's something that we purchase, being a 1099 and a W-2, which one would be able to write it off? Well, both could. The only thing is the W-2 person has to have it be more than 2% of their adjusted gross income, and they have to get on the Schedule A. So there's a possibility for the W-2, but the 100% the 
likelihood of the deduction goes right to the 1099. So someone who's employing themselves, they can write off 100% of that. No, one hundred. Yes. Okay. 100%. So let's look at mileage then. There, let's say there is an event that an athletic trainer has to travel to and they are a W-2 or a 1099. Which one is uh-huh. going to have a higher possibility of writing that off? The 1099. And, and how does that work? Are W-2s able to write off mileage? They can, but again, you have to get over that threshold to even make it work. Where the 1099 person right off the bat is going to get the deduction. And, and the 1099 can write off 100% of that mileage. 100%. And, and that obviously, the monetary value is based on the federal reimbursement rate, which for this year is 54 cents a mile, correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And let me expand on this just really quick. Some people think that they can write off the gas that they put in their tank to travel to somewhere versus doing the mileage. Can you explain a little bit about what the difference is and how you do one versus the other? Yes. So either you do one or the other. You either do your mileage or you do the the gas into your car and the auto repairs. And whichever one you select is the one you have to stay with with that vehicle till that vehicle is retired. That's the rule. Okay. And I always find that people get more, more use of their deduction with taking the mileage. I would agree. It seems that when I go on a trip and I have a couple hundred miles that I need to write off, 54 cents per each of those miles always ends up being more than what it costs me to fill up my gas tank. Yes, exactly. And so when someone fills up their gas tank and is going to write off those miles, do they need to keep the receipt for that gas or does it not matter as long as they have those miles? They just need to keep a mileage log. And Explain a little bit of what needs to be in that mileage log. Is it an odometer reading? Is it just, you know, where you went and and how long it took you to get there or or what needs to be in that? Well, IRS likes for you to put down your odometer reading and they like to have as much information as possible as where that day led you and then your to and from um, mileage that it took you to get there. And trust me, if anybody ever gets an IRS audit on mileage, do not turn in a brand new mileage book to them. Um, that was like a red flag to them. So if anybody has to create one or get help with it, make sure that it does not look brand new. So kind of beat it up a little bit, spill some coffee on it. Okay. Yes. And I know that, um, there's softwares that are becoming really popular with mileage tracking. Is that something that you would recommend? Yes, I would. I use one called Waze, um, because it keeps a log, it keeps track of everywhere that I've gone when I key in the addresses where I'm driving to. Okay. And it's just been a really good one for me. Um, other people, I've heard from other um, EA conferences that there is another, there's a couple other apps out there for our phones. And I don't know what they cost, sure. but they will keep track of your daily mileage. Wonderful. So but you someone, also have to stay on top of it and make sure you turn it on and yeah. you know, you're recording it correctly. Sure. And that's what I was going to say. So someone who is a 1099, they only need to turn that on and track their mileage when they're going to and from a job, not all of the time, correct? No, that's not correct. Oh. Because let's say that, for instance, on Saturday, which, you know, maybe you're not working for your client, but let's say you have paperwork to do, you got deposits to make, you want to keep track of when you're going to the bank to make a deposit for the money you've earned, you're going to Staples or Target to get office supplies. 
or you're going to buy your medical supplies. You want to keep track of all that mileage. Interesting. Okay. But someone who is a W-2 that maybe needs to go to Target to get something for the, the local office, that's not really something that they could write off. No, not if, if they were doing it on the weekend. That one's a hard sell to do to the IRS. Makes sense. Okay. If it's during job hours, that one's more feasible. Okay. So if they're running to the bank to deposit a check for the business during business hours, that's a little bit easier to write off. Yes. If their employer is not reimbursing them to do it. I see. And from my experience, most employers don't. <laughs> yeah. So then um, one other major one I know that athletic trainers will be interested in hearing about is travel to conferences and the cost of our continuing education units, which mm -hmm. would be able, let's say, for example, you as a W-2 employee, your employer says, I'll give you $400 towards CEUs and conference costs versus the, the 1099 who has to pay for themselves. Which one is better off? And can you kind of explain a little bit of the difference between those? Sure. So the employee who's getting the $400, I'd call that a per diem to go on this educational excursion. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to still be out of pocket. And let's say, it's, you know, even when I go to my conferences, they're about $1,200 for me yeah. flying, my staying, my education, my meals. Sure. So 400 into 12 is not that much. Yeah. So then again, are they going to be able to get onto a Schedule A and claim these unreimbursed expenses? It's hard to tell. Most people can't, to be honest. Okay. But versus the 1099 person, you know, who spent $1,200 for this conference, that's a 100% deduction for them. The only caveat there is meals. We all have to remember that meals cannot be deducted 100%. We are all capped at 50% for meals. Okay. So your flight, your hotel, your registration fees, all of that 100% deduction, anything you eat while you're at the conference, you can write off 50% of it. Yes. Okay. So while the W-2 person may get $400 to go towards it, towards their conference, they're probably going to have to come out $800. And the 1099, they're going to come out 1200 but they'll be able to write all of that off at the end of the year. Yes, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. Is there anything else that, in terms of deductions, that are really important ones to pay attention to as a 1099 and a W-2? Um, well, mostly for the 1099, I would say keep track of everything for your mileage. I mean, again, like I said, going to the bank, going to buy supplies. Maybe you're going to go have a luncheon with another fellow person who's going to give you other ideas to, mm -hmm. for more marketing of yourself. Keep track of everything. Uh, most people don't, and they forget about it. And it's a great tax deduction for you. And it can really uh, add up, those miles. It can. It does. And keep track of – I just tell everybody, keep track of everything. Even if you don't think it's going to count, keep track of it. You never know. Most people will come in here and be like, well, I had to go to a conference, and I had to buy donuts. But I mm -hmm. threw away the receipt because I can't claim it. I'm like, yes, you can. That's mm -hmm. definitely a tax deduction for you. Um, I really do recommend that people use some type of QuickBooks. Uh, system to keep track of their stuff for all my 1099 people. You don't have to go out and buy the desktop version, you know, which is about $200. You can do QuickBooks Online. Yep. And they even now have a new version of QuickBooks Online. And I think it's like 5 or $6 a month. And it's for your phones. And all you do is record in your expenses. And it actually creates your own profit and loss statement for you to give to your tax preparer. It's That's a really nice fee. Yes. Yeah, I've seen it. It's QuickBooks self-employed. And yes. we as a business use QuickBooks. And I, I can't 
say enough about it. I will say though, one of the kind of cheats, if you will, that uh, makes QuickBooks extra useful is to have a separate business bank account because we've linked our QuickBooks to our business bank account. So every transaction that happens on that account directly comes into QuickBooks. So we don't have to remember, you know, I bought uh, a stapler at Target and things like that. Yes, exactly. And and I would imagine that you would recommend people who are self-employed to try to have a separate account. Is that correct? Yes, I recommend that. And I also recommend that you also get your own federal ID number. Um, and I really recommend that now because of all the stealing, uh, you know, with our security and our data and people get a hold of your social security because as a sole prop, you only have to use your social security number. Yeah. And when you're filling out W-9 forms for people, you don't know where they're going. You yeah. trust that they're going to the, to the the business and nothing will happen to them, but you really don't. Yeah. So I really would recommend you get a federal ID number. You don't have to pay for it. You just tell them you're going to be a sole prop and you want your own number and they give it to you. And then you can use that for anything for your business and then your social security number is not being used. I agree wholeheartedly with that. The um, federal ID number is super easy to obtain. And even when you're looking at opening bank accounts and stuff, to have a separate entity and a separate number to write down that isn't contingent on your social security number and your credit, more importantly, is really a, a great idea. Yes. So one last thing, I want you to expand a little bit on what you mentioned before with health insurance. Talk a little bit about what the requirement now is with health insurance and even kind of how our tax dollars are going to help pay for that. Yes. So Obama, it's called Obamacare. You know, they passed that bill that we were all mandated as of 14 to have our health insurance recorded on our tax returns. And unfortunately, IRS is now the police of it, um, which has also made me be like a police officer because now I have to ask everybody, do you have health insurance? And even if you say yes to me, you have to show me proof. But now, they're, as of la- from last year's tax returns, I should say, people didn't always have proof. So sometimes mm-hmm. they show me like an insurance card. Well, there's no way for I, for me to know if they're expired or not. Sure. And especially with, you know, um, the laws on health care, like, you know, there was gray areas there, like how much can I ask for, for you know, proof that you have it. Mm-hmm. So with, especially with HIPAA compliance and that type of stuff. Absolutely. Um, and even I had to go HIPAA compliance with how I keep my data now mm-hmm. because of me having people's information. Mm-hmm. So with healthcare now, they've actually come out with forms. So most people are going to get three types of forms, one of the three, I should say. But this year, people got two of them because there's still an unknown of who's supposed to do what. So form number one is a 1095A. If you buy insurance from the marketplace, like in California, Cover California, mm-hmm. you will get a 1095A at the end of the year in January. You cannot do your taxes without that form. That form is so important. Hmm. I have clients from last year who did their taxes who said to me, hey, here's my insurance card. I said, great. We did their insurance, you know, got the uh, penalty waived. Sure. And now their refunds for 2015 are being held because IRS said, we know you bought from the exchange. We want your paperwork. Oh, interesting. Yes. So 1095As are lips. You cannot file a tax return without them. Okay. So we're being we're being very sticklers on those forms this year. Okay. The other two forms are a 1095B or a 1095C. 1095Bs are supposed to come from the insurance carrier. Okay. Um, so like if your employer is employing you through giving you health care through Kaiser, you should be getting a Kaiser form from a 1095B. Okay. But also a 1095C 
is a health form from your employer saying they gave you health insurance. Okay. So there's been confusion this year of who's supposed to actually give it to you, Kaiser, who, who, who you go to for health care, or your employer who paid a portion or all of your health care. So a lot of people this year are getting both forms, the 1095B and the C. Now, there were rules this year, too, about, you know, people had to put these forms together. And they weren't due out, I guess, until May is what I heard. Oh, wow. So you can file tax returns without a B or a C and not have your refund held up. But again, if it's an A, the 1095A, your refund will be put on hold. Interesting. Okay. So anybody who's filing their taxes this year, make sure to look out for the 1095 and be sure to ask your employer if you haven't received one, when that's going to be coming. Yes, exactly. Okay. And um, there's something else that you've mentioned previously to me personally is that uh, April 15th isn't actually the deadline this year, right? No, it's not. But before we jump to that, I just want to finish one more thing about health care. Yes. Um, just in case. So if you do not have health insurance, you did not go through the exchange, you didn't think you could afford it, you know, you have no other means, you're, you know, you're over the age of 26, your parents aren't having you on their policy, there is a penalty now for not having health care. The first year in 14, when it was done, it was very low penalty. So a lot of people said, heck, you know what? That penalty is like, let's say, for example, $300. I can't get health care for $300, so I'm going to pay the penalty. Oh. Well, starting in 15's tax returns, the penalties increased. It can be pretty severe where people can owe two grand on that penalty now. And that penalty is going to keep increasing. And what it's to do is to make you want to go out and get your health care. So if you're somebody who doesn't have health care, Get it as soon as possible as you can. Um, there are rules for the exchange. If you need to go onto the exchange and get help, you know, there. I know the exchange is already closed for the year, but sometimes when um, things happen and occur in your life, they will make, you know, they will let you do it. So just, you know, look into that. Just don't, you know, be like an ostrich and hide your head in the sand if you don't have health care and that don't know sense. what to do. There are brokers out there that can help you too. So, I tell everybody now, especially for 16, they haven't told us exactly what the penalty rate will be yet, but I'm sure when they announce it that this is going to be higher than 15's rate, so you're going to end up paying more and more. It's going to get to the point where it's going to cost you way more to have the penalty than it is to have health care. That makes sense. And, and mostly yeah. because they want everybody to have the coverage. They do. And so for they the do. people who don't feel that they can afford it, I know at least for Covered California and maybe federally, there are um, subsidies that are available if you qualify based on your income, right? Yes, that is correct. And that is why you can't file your tax return without the 1095A because sometimes they give you a credit for your health care based on what you said your income level was. Mm -hmm. And when we do your tax returns, we actually have to do another worksheet to calculate to make sure that that credit was accurate. I see. So if you lied and said that you made a lot less money, then you're going to owe them back. Yes, you are. Good to know. Yes. Okay, so uh, just wrapping up here, when are taxes due this year and any other parting advice? Yes, taxes this year, we were briefly bringing it up earlier, is due the 18th of April because it's emancipation holiday in Washington, D.C. on the 15th. So we have three extra days to file. Um, that also includes your quarterly payment, so it's not due on the 15th. The first quarterly payment of 16 will be due on the 18th as well. Okay. Um, and my other advice for you is that if you didn't use a tax preparer this year, and let's say you did use TurboTax, 
and you're listening to this recording, you're like, heck, I don't know what these quarterly payments are, you know, give us a call or give another preparer a call and find out. It doesn't hurt to ask the questions, even though you've used TurboTax or you've, maybe you've used another preparer that you're just not happy with. A lot of people told us that this year. They just didn't feel connected to the people they went to. Um, so just don't ever be afraid to ask questions. And if your tax preparer is not answering them, then find somebody else. I totally agree. We've, we used you this year, and I couldn't be happier with your guys' services. But if someone else is interested in using you guys, tell us where we can find you at. Yes, you can find me on the web. I'm at www.n like Nancy, m like Mary, tax solutions with an, N, an S at the end, dot com. Uh, my phone number is 714-760-4709. From my website, you can actually send me an email because my email address is pretty long. But um, we, you don't have to be locals for us. We're located in Tustin. We actually do quite a few people that don't even live in our area. We have like a Dropbox feature with our software and you can just upload your information and we can do your taxes right online with you. Awesome. And do you do out-of-state taxes? Yes, we do. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you, Kim, for answering our questions. I'm sure that we're going to get lots of feedback and people with follow-up questions, so we'll be sure to direct them to you. Great. Thank you. Well, that was super informative. Taxes aren't that fun of a topic to talk about, so I figured I would lighten things up a bit with some taxes fun facts from facts.randomhistory.com. The federal tax code was 400 pages in 1913. In 2010, it was 70,000 pages. Everyone who earns a paycheck pays a federal income tax. 43 of the 50 states charge their citizens an income tax. The seven states that do not have state income tax are Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. Roman Emperor Vespasian placed a tax on urine in the first century AD. Urine at that time was collected and used as a source of ammonia for tanning hides and laundering garments. Texas has a poll tax, which is a tax on strip clubs, peep shows, and nude dancing. The revenue from the tax goes to sexual assault victims and health insurance for the poor. Also, in Texas, cowboy boots are exempt from sales tax. However, hiking boots are not. The first income tax in the U.S. was imposed in July 1861 to help pay for the Civil War. In 1862, it was repealed and replaced by the tiered income tax. The current income tax system was made into law in 1913 before the start of World War I. The most famous protest of taxation by the American colonies was the Boston Tea Party. On December 16, 1773, colonists dumped 342 chests of tea into the Boston Harbor to protest the Tea Act and other oppressive tax measures. They argued there should be, quote, no taxation without representation. And lastly, the Cayman Islands do not impose income or property taxes on its citizens. Instead, it raises money through import and export taxes, tourist fees, work permit fees, and transaction fees. I hope that in listening to this, you not only became more aware of how taxes can impact you on a personal level, but a professional one as well. 
Perhaps you picked up some bargaining chips that you can take to your employer or found a way to leverage a deduction in your favor at the next negotiation. Take a moment after listening to this podcast to write down three items you want to investigate further, whether it's conducting some research on the internet for further clarification, discussing something with your tax advisor, or reaching out to Kim for a consultation. Now that you've heard this episode, what are some things you could get better with to set yourself up for a better financial future? Thank you for listening. If you learned something on today's podcast, please share it with a colleague. As I said in the beginning, we could all benefit from better understanding taxes, so share the gift of knowledge. On our next podcast, we will be discussing branding. Thank you to Mr. Logistics for the sound that you've heard throughout. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Advantage. If you have questions regarding what we have spoken about here, use the hashtag Q&AT. Or show us you completing your taxes with the hashtag That's Business. <laughs>